This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan, your host for today. It's now been 3 years since India-China relations fell into a state of deep freeze, coinciding with a border crisis that still remains unresolved. But these past 3 years have also seen other transformative changes in India's relations with China, particularly when it comes to trade and investment. Trade does continue to boom, but investments from China that were soaring until 2019 have all but collapsed. 3 years on, what is the state of play on the India-China investment front? Do recent deals suggest Chinese companies are actually coming back into India? And where exactly are ties on this front headed? In today's podcast, we are joined by Santosh Pai, an honorary fellow of the Institute of Chinese Studies, a partner at Denton Link Legal, and someone who's been closely tracking Chinese investments and in companies in India for the past decade. Santosh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Anand, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Just to begin with, uh, Santosh, it's a, it's been three years since this crisis in the relationship happened. Uh, can you just give us some context uh, for beginning with how you know in the period leading up to 2020 in this crisis, the last four five years from 2015 to 2020, there was really a boom in in investments coming in into India from China. Can you just give us a flavor of how things were progressing until we reached this very big turning point? Yes, Anand. So. I think uh, the period you are referring to actually starts from 2014 with the launch of you know uh, the Make in India program, and that's when uh, Chinese uh, FDI flows into India really took off. Because uh, if you see before that, right from 2000 to 2013, uh, the Chinese investment in India was negligible, but from 2014 to 2020, the annual flow. both in terms of a number of transactions and the value of transactions uh, increased almost uh, every year and uh, the number of transactions actually peaked in 2019 at 527 investment transactions in 2019 uh, whereas the value the annual value peaked in 2015 itself when in a single year we managed to attract 859 million dollars uh, as investments but this is only the direct investments uh, in addition to that there was a large uh, proportion uh, of indirect investments which are not shown as chinese investments uh, in rbi statistics uh, for example startups alone attracted about 5 billion dollars uh, in the year in that period so taken together uh, you know yes you can definitely call it the golden age of chinese investments in india and uh, uh, from a regulatory perspective as well uh, this is very significant because during this uh, booming period uh, chinese investments actually faced next to no scrutiny in india which is very unusual because at the same time many other countries had started uh, scrutinizing chinese investments picking and choosing what they want uh, or rather you know having a policy or signaling uh, what kind of investment were welcome uh you know it happened in europe uh, it happened in the us so uh, i would say in hindsight maybe india was a little late in realizing uh, the need to scrutinize uh, chinese investments but as you said it definitely did happen in 2020 uh 
uh, and after that uh, there's been a huge impact on uh, direct investment flows uh, and maybe a little later we can talk about what's happening uh, for the indirect flow as well can you walk us through what exactly changed in 2020 when of course um, there was a policy change uh, that brought additional scrutiny into investments coming from neighboring countries. And the interesting thing, Santosh, was I think this happened shortly before the LEC crisis began. And it was only a few months after Xi Jinping had actually visited India in October 2019. So it did seem surprising that these curbs came in at that point of time. So what was your reading of what exactly happened uh, leading to those curves in early 2020? Yes, Salam, that's a very good observation. Actually, many people tend to confuse that uh, Presno tree is because of the Dalwan Valley uh, uh, incursions. But you're right that it came out a few weeks before uh, actually we got to know about uh, the Dalwan Valley incident. So uh, what caused Presno tree? Firstly, Presno tree is a blanket requirement for scrutiny of, of all types of Chinese investment, regardless of sector, regardless of quantum in the sense that whether you acquire 1% in a company or 100% you need approval. So it's a, you know, uh, it's a proper scrutiny mechanism where every single investment will be vetted and uh, approved by the uh, Indian government. Now, what triggered Press Note 3 is still, I'm afraid, somewhat debatable because according to the press reports we read at the, uh, at the time of Press Note 3, uh, there was a stock exchange filing made by uh, the, the Chinese Sovereign Wealth Fund, uh, which had accumulated a stake in excess of 1% uh, in India's largest uh, mortgage lender. So that apparently was the immediate trigger. But if you look at the statistics, actually, there is you know, perhaps uh, a case uh, to be argued that in 2020 first quarter, uh, which is January to March, uh, we uh, received about 161 transactions. So in terms of number, that was the single highest quarter uh, in the last 20 years, because normally in 2019, the annual number of transactions was 527, uh, before that 404. But in the first quarter of 2020, there was the pandemic, which was breaking all around the world. And uh, at the same time, uh, the, the kind of number of investment transactions from China really accelerated. Mm. So in hindsight, one might say that someone sitting in, in the government saw this and said, look, there's been a spurt of Chinese investments in three months and this coincides with COVID. And then maybe the HDFC uh, filing uh, came out after that. So all of this could have uh, contributed to uh, Press Note 3's uh, announcement. Uh, and of course, after Press Note 3, the same uh, wording uh, which is to say, you know, beneficial ownership by any entity or individual who is uh, in a bordering country which shares a land border with India will require government approval. Uh, so before this, the only geographical restriction that India had was for investment from Pakistan and Bangladesh, which are, of course, you know, for historical reasons, they have always been scrutinized, any investment coming from Pakistan and Bangladesh. So from a regulatory perspective, what Press Note 3 did in effect was it placed the other bordering countries, uh, which is, you know, uh, uh, Afghanistan, uh, China uh, and uh, Myanmar, same category as Pakistan and Bangladesh, 
and it, it this was the first time in 20 years of liberalization since 91 20 30 years of liberalization that india did a sort of regressive move of actually making it harder for foreign investment so that is the regulatory significance but as i said uh, perhaps in hindsight this was a little uh, too late because we should have started uh, scrutinizing investments a little earlier because it was already you know emerging global trend and as a major economy uh, we should have just had these uh, guardrails and you know from a national security perspective but anyway that's water under the, under the bridge now we have a scrutiny mechanism and uh, we can talk a little bit more about how that's working now right so how has the scrutiny mechanism impacted uh, the investments that were coming in uh, we've seen that there seems to have been a huge drop off in 2020 and 2021. Uh, how big has that drop off been and how much of it was due to India's curbs and how much of it was also due to uh, the curbs we've also seen in China uh, in terms of companies and taking money out of China and investing abroad? All right. So uh, when we come to the scrutiny, uh, let's divide it into two parts so that uh, you know the listeners can understand it very clearly because we see a lot of press reports about how many approvals are being given or how right. many applications are being made. So in uh, last year, uh, March 16, 2022, uh, the, in the response to a parliamentary questions, we received some statistics which disclosed that 347 applications were received in the last two years. Uh, and 66 were approved and 193 were rejected and so on. And the headline figure was about 13,625 crores uh, worth of approvals uh, were given. Now, there is a time lag, of course, between approval being given and the actual investment coming into India. But for our perspective, I think we should focus on the investments actually that are coming in because, you know, tracking approvals uh, it's not possible actually apart from this parliamentary question and a statement by our finance minister i think a couple of months ago where she used a number of 68 or 70 approvals have been given so it's not really uh, scientific we don't have the data on approvals but uh, the investment data is published regularly by the rbi so uh, in the last three years since press note three we have received a little less than $10 million from mainland China and a little less than $60 million so from Hong Kong. So put together, I think the actual flow of FDI from Hong Kong and mainland China under Press Note 3 after having received the approvals is just about $69 million, which roughly corresponds to about 565 crores. So in other words, uh, to, to summarize it, one can say that using the sample that the finance uh, ministry has disclosed, we can say that the approval rate is approximately about 19 to 20%. So if there are 100 approvals, maybe 20 are approved. That's a 20% success rate for the approval. And the conversion thereafter is in the low single digits. So if there are, uh, you know, uh, 100 uh, US dollars worth of uh, investment that is actually approved, maybe about 5% actually comes in. So I think this is, you know, this is the new reality. Uh, it's a huge disincentive for Chinese investors to invest in India directly by taking approval. Uh, we can see, you know, what kind of approvals are being given and what are the kind of investment structure that, that are being used later. But if you want to take one big 
observation from this, I think that the indirect Chinese investments which are coming into other jurisdictions have increased and they have not only increased but they are also not coming in as Chinese investment because Press Note 3 makes it very clear that no matter how the investment is rooted, as long as the beneficial ownership is with the Chinese investor, approval must be taken. And if a lot of indirect investments are coming without approval, it only means that uh, you know opaque investment structures are being used in other countries to, in effect, uh, conceal the Chinese beneficial ownership. Uh, there are many ways one can do that, and uh, I'm afraid that I, I don't know whether that is good for the investment environment in India because at one level you would say it is better to know which are the Chinese investments and scrutinize them. But by having the extremely harsh uh, scrutiny mechanism, if you're pushing most of the investments into the opaque uh, domain, uh, then it's arguable whether you know that's good in the long term because then we don't even know uh, what kind of Chinese investments are coming, where are they going, how are they coming into India, and so on. So that's anyway that that's that's a debate that can be had, but that's where we are today. There have been reports as well, Santosh, that uh, as you mentioned, that Chinese companies as well are coming back into the Indian market in different ways. Uh, you mentioned one, which is, of course, by setting up uh, companies in third countries like Singapore or even concealing ownership, as you just mentioned. We've also had uh, some examples of, of them coming back in by tying up with Indian companies. Uh, one prominent recent example has been the online fashion company, Shane, which came up with a deal uh, with Reliance Industries. Uh, can you speak about these kind of arrangements that we are beginning to see? And how do you see that going in terms of Chinese companies coming in by, by tying up uh, with Indian companies? And how does this approach kind of allay the concerns that New Delhi had previously? Uh, as a lawyer, I would say, yes, uh, these kind of structures are increasingly coming into play and they make for some very interesting, uh, complex uh, structuring of transactions. But none of this is new, uh, even in the past, for many other reasons, uh, you know, foreign investors could always resort to different types of commercial uh, arrangements uh, alongside their equity investment in India. A Shane is a very good example because, as you know, uh, more than 300 internet applications were banned from India. Uh, but it looks like Shane has been able to distinguish itself from other uh, uh, internet applications because, as you know, uh, Shane is just a technology layer uh, to a retail business where it sells uh, fast fashion clothing and so on. So uh, I think this is actually a good template uh, if, if if a Chinese investor can demonstrate value to the domestic economy in India, uh, either by sourcing its products and generating employment uh, and so on. Uh, I think uh, this is the kind of uh, approval that should be given. Uh, in this case, there's no equity investment. So actually, the question of press note 3 approval doesn't arise. But uh, I see other discussions happening now. Uh, MG Motors is in discussion to offload a stake because they're simply not able to uh, bring in fresh equity investment and automotive sector is extremely capital intensive. So some Indian business houses are in the fray to pick up an equity stake in MG Motors. So I think uh, put together, uh, there is a template that's emerging. I think the red lines are moving a little bit, uh, whereas there was a, 
for the digital economy, I would still say there's a red line. I don't think uh, Shane is uh, going to result in a number of other internet applications being allowed to enter the Indian market because uh, India has concerns on uh, its uh, data and you know, from a national security perspective, data of Indian consumers and so on. But uh, I think in the manufacturing sector, things are definitely changing. Uh, if you look at the actual approvals that have been given under Press Note 3 as well, you see that there's a heavy concentration of manufacturing investments. Almost 70 to 80% of them are actual investments which are going to result in some sort of manufacturing activity in India, uh, either for uh, renewable energy uh, products or automotive products. Uh, so I think this is a new template. So arguably, if India lacks uh, domestic production in a particular area or we have extreme uh, import dependency in one area and a Chinese uh, company would want to come and manufacture in India along with the Indian uh, company as a joint venture partner uh, with a minority stake for the Chinese company. So these are some of the factors which will make uh, uh, a Press Note 3 approval application favorable in the eyes of the government. That's what is emerging. This red line could even move further. Uh, it could get more relaxed. Uh, or it could stay in the same place. Uh, and when you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, investments coming through uh, other countries, uh, late last year, I think, uh, Cayman Islands became a top 20 investor, source of investment in India. And uh, that raised some eyebrows because uh, uh, globally, uh, Cayman Islands is a very popular spot for uh, uh, routing Chinese money through different countries uh, where whenever Chinese companies invest. Cayman Islands is a very popular jurisdiction. So last year when Cayman Islands became a top 10 source of FDI for India, uh, there were uh, sort of uh, discussions about how this might be Chinese money coming in. But Singapore, of course, is the more logical and uh, visible source of uh, Chinese investments right now. Uh, so yes, so this is where I think uh, the uh, template is slowly emerging, saying that if uh, if Indian government thinks uh, a particular investment is beneficial uh, and a suitable structure is adopted, then such investments will be welcome. Also, at the same time, Santosh, you did mention that in the 2014 to 2019 period that uh, one of the sectors in India that attracted a lot of Chinese investment was startups in the tech uh, space. We've now seen... Uh, in 2023, a fall in funding for startups in India. So would that be something that Delhi will be thinking about? And do you think that this might prompt them to revisit some of the curbs? Or has it become such a national security issue that you think it is something that's almost non-negotiable for India right now as far as Chinese presence in, in the tech space is concerned? So when we're talking about startups, I think it's uh, it's better to actually focus on the type of businesses because there can be a startup today, hypothetically speaking, which could launch a new electric vehicle. Uh, you know, it's it's more like a physical business which entails a lot of investment, manufacturing. So those kind of investments, I think, would still be possible. But if you're talking of startups in the sense of a pure internet company, a social media app, or so on. That, I think, is still a red line. Uh, I, I don't think, for example, a WeChat would be able to come back to India or a TikTok would be able to come back to India in the current scenario. But, however, as we have seen, you know, these red lines can move a little bit. Uh, it depends on uh, a lot on what is happening globally. 
so for instance if there's talk about banning tiktok in america now then india would find it even more difficult to make a u turn because india was actually one of the first countries to ban tiktok but whereas if you see a sort of trend of uh, many of these startups moving away from china and positioning themselves as singapore companies for example which is what uh, shane is doing so there are many other chinese companies which are positioning themselves as global companies with no connection to china they're headquartered in some other country and so on so if that uh, becomes a larger trend it is possible that india you know to 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 welcome foreign companies will allow some of these companies as well but we are still uh, a fair uh, distance from there uh i think uh, that's the way i would look at it in the startup space selectively it is definitely possible deal flow has uh, sharply fallen but uh, uh, as far as you know these investments have uh, practical repercussions in india in terms of job creation and so on uh, it is definitely uh, will be considered i will definitely keep an eye on this space and come back to this to see how this evolves uh, we are certainly new territory as far as india and china are concerned santosh pai Always a pleasure to have you talk about India-China relations on the InFocus podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. InFocus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for InFocus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.